Hey guys, it's Callan. Uh, I just wanted to do a quick introduction before diving into my first podcast on Imperfect Me. I know that I know many of you, but maybe some of you I don't, so I thought I would just kind of give you an idea of why I started this podcast and kind of who I am. So I want you to know, first of all, that it's been about three minutes since I last felt totally imperfect. (laughs) And maybe you can relate to that, maybe not. But pretty much all day, every day, my mind is conjuring up thoughts of, why can't you be better? Why are you failing at this? Why, you know, so-and-so is doing so much better than you and they can keep it all together, but you can't. And, you know, nobody cares about what you have to say. (laughs) All of those things. Our minds can be pretty brutal to us sometimes. And as I kind of uh, thought more about how that process goes for me and through my experience as a marriage and family therapist, I've come to see that I am not alone in that journey, that many, many women that I've talked to, in fact, all of them struggle with feelings of imperfection. But on top of that, not just feelings of imperfection, but feeling like there's something wrong with them for being so imperfect. And so I started a while ago, kind of making it my mission in the therapy room to help women to see their worth and value not in spite of their imperfections, but including their imperfections. Because of their imperfections, they have worth and value. And the things that the imperfections that we have can teach us have worth and value. And through that process, it's been really neat to see the shift and the change in the clients that I've worked with and in myself as I've tried to embrace my own imperfection and really start to see what that imperfection can offer my life day to day and reshape those thoughts for myself. So that's where this idea for this podcast came from. I thought if I feel that way, and I've had clients that felt that way, surely other women do. And maybe this would be a really good way to kind of connect women from all different walks of life, single women, married women, women with kids, women without kids, women with kids who have moved out of the home, you know, I want to be able to connect to a wide spectrum of people and really get to the heart of one thing that connects us all together, which is imperfect. (laughs) We are imperfect. We are human and we are in it together as women. And I want to show that through the stories of the people that allow me to interview them. And that is the beauty of this podcast is that so many women have stepped forward and with a willing heart and an open heart allowed me to share their story with each of you and in a raw and real and honest way so that you can not feel so alone in your journey and that you can have something to connect to when maybe those imperfect feelings are stronger than usual, or you need somebody that can understand what you're going through. So that's basically the long story of how I got to this podcast. I am so passionate about helping women to be their best selves, whatever that looks like. I 100% believe that there is no right way to be a woman. And I just want 
so much for women to be able to hear this podcast and hear the things that I have to say and to go away feeling like they have the strength to be a little bit better and knowing that it's okay if they fail. So with all of that being said, welcome to Imperfect Me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. For this first episode of Imperfect Me, we have an amazing woman, and I'm so excited to share her with all of you. Mandy and I go way back. We knew each other in high school and uh, have since been Facebook friends and kind of kept in touch with each other. And she volunteered to be my first podcast, which is so nice of her, and I'm so grateful to her for that. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear her story because she is one amazing woman. So without any further ado, here is Mandy Phillips and her beautiful story. Mandy is a stay-at-home mom to three kids. Lily is six, Jack is three, and Harper is two months old. She enjoys experimenting with French recipes, quilting, and cross-stitching. Life is chaotic, but she doesn't take it too seriously and tries to see the humorous side of parenting. So thanks for giving us a little snapshot of your life there, Mandy. Uh, I am pretty sure we could talk about any of those parts of your life, and the women listening would benefit from that. But I know that you came with a specific story you'd like to share. So are you ready to tell us about it? Sure. Um, So um, I have a two-month-old named Harper, and mm-hmm. um, it's, it was my third pregnancy. Uh, everything had felt normal, had been normal. I'd had morning sickness, um, just your average pregnancy. Um, and then I went in for my 20-week ultrasound. And my husband didn't come with me because um, he, he works a very demanding job. And um, he had been to previous 20 week ultrasounds and it was kind of like, Oh, that's cool. But I've seen it before. So right, um, he wasn't with me. <laughs> um, and it was just a routine checkup. Um, and I was laying there getting the ultrasound done and they check the baby's, uh, they measure the baby's limbs. They check the kidneys. They look at the baby's heart. Um, and my ultrasound tech kept going over her heartbeat. And they usually record it and they give you a little printout. It's kind of, it's kind of cute. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, she kept, she kept going over the baby's heart and uh, she kind of gave me a funny look and said, I'll be right back. Um, I'm going to go get the doctor. Oh man. Oh, that's kind of That is never a good thing to hear. No. So (laughs) I'm laying there and my doctor comes in and does the same thing. She keeps going over the baby's heartbeat and pushing buttons and recording things. And the whole time I'm thinking like, is this normal? Did this happen with my, with my other two pregnancies? I, I just couldn't remember. Um, Mm -hmm. and she looks at me and she says, Hey, do you have a little bit of time where you could wait here for, um, a specialist to come in and check out your ultrasound? And I, I said, well, yeah, I'll have to make some arrangements for someone to pick up my, my first grader, but uh, that should be okay. So I ended up laying there for an hour and a half while I waited, 
because yeah so I'm, I'm laying in this dark room by myself and you had no idea I had no idea they didn't tell me anything <sighs> so all these emotions <laughs> man I bet your mind was just going crazy yes and um my husband wasn't there and so there was no one for me to bounce ideas off of and um, I pull up my phone and I'm like googling stuff and <laughs> just oh, thinking man. the worst um, anyway, the, the specialist eventually makes it into my ultrasound room and, uh, he tells me that he thinks my baby has a, a heart condition that is a little serious. And at this point I'm, I'm just kind of numb. I, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It was kind of surreal, um, because I have two older, healthy children who had no problems um, I never had any problems in my pregnancies. Um, they, they all have been healthy. Um, so for this to happen was just kind of, um, earth shaking. And, yeah. uh, so they, he told us that we would need to go in for an echocardiogram. So we ended up going to, um, the children's hospital and mm. having more doctors take a look at my baby, Aram, do all these tests, was your husband able to be with you for that one? Um, no, <laughs> I ended up going. Uh, no, his his career is so demanding, and I um, he wanted to be there really bad, and he kind of right. mourned with me, but it was hard um, because he often couldn't get away from work. And um, anyway, so she was diagnosed with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, um, which is Basically, if you don't know, um, she had a hole in her heart in a particular spot that was causing part of her left chamber to not grow. And you need your left chamber to to oxygenate your your blood. And it's, right. a, it's a huge part of the heart, and it's very important. Um, and they told us that she would need surgery when she was two days old. And... Um, of course, I start Googling. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's so scary. It's so scary. And um, just just the thought of my newborn baby being taken away from me the second she's born. Um, if you've ever given birth, you know that you're just flooded with these attachment hormones. And all you want mm -hmm. is that baby in your arms. And um, I spent most of the summer, she was diagnosed in May of this year. Um, I spent most of June and July and August, I, in a depression, I couldn't, I couldn't text people back. Um, my friends would reach out and I just, I had no emotional energy left to care about anybody or anything. Even my own two older children, um, they really learned how to fend for themselves. They, mm -hmm. um, they would just play in the backyard all day. And fortunately we had really good weather all summer and, um, they really learned how to entertain themselves. So I guess that was good. But, um, her, her diagnosis, it was, it was just so unexpected. And, um, I, I don't know, there are just so many emotions I couldn't explain and I couldn't target that I, I yeah. look back now and I realize, um, I, I had really bad depression over it. And I felt sick. Like I felt like it was my fault. I was going over how many prenatal vitamins I had taken. I was thinking like, 
oh, I, yeah. I'm eating healthy enough. I I love sugar and I love fat and food. And I, who doesn't? I was thinking like, oh, I should have eaten more salad. I should have, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have exercised more. Um, anyway, so with her diagnosis, um, I became a high risk pregnancy and I had to go to, um, special doctors and I had a lot of, I had a lot more appointments than your average pregnancy. And which is even harder with, with two kids trying to match all those appointments. Right. Yeah. Fortunately, we've, um, we've been really fortunate with a village that said, Hey, we'll babysit your kids when you need to go to doctor's appointments. And so I was usually able to go kid free, which was really nice. Um, but she was born in September and instead of her being whisked away from me, um, I got to hang on to her we got to have that skin to skin time and it was the most beautiful thing. And I loved it with my first two babies, but with her, it was so unexpected because I thought they're going to, they told me she's going to be taken to the NICU right. immediately. You won't get to hold her. Um, I get to hold her because she, she was born blue. Um, but they were able to check her oxygen and do everything. Um, and if you've ever heard of skin to skin time, um, it's where um, babies can regulate their body temperature and their heart rate. Um, being born is like a scary thing. And so when they're placed on their mother's chest and they, their skins touch, um, it's extremely beneficial yeah. for both mom and baby. Um, and we were able to have that. And I think because I was not expecting to get to have that and then I I got to have it anyway um that just it was extra special and my bond with her yeah you appreciate it that much more yeah my bond is like that much deeper with her Mm -hmm. Um, and we're so grateful we we still go into the doctor a lot and get her blood levels checked and her oxygen levels checked and um Fortunately, we don't have to go back until she is six months old. So we're really fortunate. Um, a lot of children with this diagnosis um, are often in surgery when they're two days old. Um, she did not need surgery. Yeah, and that's we amazing. Actually, we know somebody um, whose child had this condition and um, is three years old now. And um, they're just the child is really behind and delayed in a lot of other areas because of complications from the surgery. Um, So we consider ourselves really fortunate that Harper did not need surgery right away and is a functioning infant. Yeah. So will she need surgery then at six months or not sure? sure. Right. Not sure. We will find out. Um, we're hoping to push it off until she's a year. The bigger and stronger she is, uh, the better. Right. Um, we're yeah. blessed with it this far. Um, because babies who have surgery when they're two days old, um, they don't get to breastfeed. They don't really get to learn how to eat. And so they they often have a feeding tube, which causes other complications. Um, it, it, oh, it's, it's just one thing right after the other. And she doesn't have to have that. So right it was really unexpected 
especially after spending months just in a fog and just dreading um, it dreading her birth and with, with my other two pregnancies you know you anticipate that birthday and you you can't wait and you're counting down and with Harper I I was dreading it um which is not a a great feeling and I yeah. I even felt kind of guilty um dreading my baby's birth but but it is what it is and you just have to make the best of it um yeah that's got to be so hard to to know like usually when bad things happen in our lives they're kind of unexpected they pop up and it's like okay now I just have to cope with this but to know that everything's fine right now but in three months my whole life is going to change kind of having that expectation of that bad thing coming I bet was really really difficult yeah um it's made me realize like I I got over that um I'm not saying everything will turn out fine all the time but I feel like I I weathered through that trial the next trial that comes at me, I'm going to keep that in mind and think I got through, I got through Harper's pregnancy. Right. I can get through this. Yeah. So in in some ways it changed you by making you feel like you can overcome more in the future. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I I keep making like a mental log of, of how I felt um, and how I, if I could go back, how I would have changed I, I'm glad I went through it, but I wish mm-hmm. I would have texted friends back because I, I had people reaching out to me like, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. Let's go get dinner. And I just, I, this sounds so lame, but I had like no emotional energy to even see people or mm-hmm. function like a normal human. I didn't shower a lot. Um, I just kind of laid in bed and listened to audiobooks and tried to escape from the right. reality of having a baby that was going to have all these problems. Yeah, that's, I I imagine, I know a lot of times when I've gone through hard things like that, and you're still kind of in that coping phase, that it's hard to be around people that you know, even if they want to be there for you, that you know, they can't quite understand it. Like, they're going to try, but they won't get there. And it's so hard to try to meet them where they're at when you don't have any kind of emotional energy for it. Exactly. Yeah, It, it was it was hard and I've apologized to people, but I think for the most part, they get it. They get it you oh, know? I'm sure. I'm sure they get it. Cause I mean, how could anybody blame you for reacting that way to such a life changing kind of thing? Right. I, I didn't even, I didn't cry all the time. I just felt kind of numb and absent. Like I just kept trying to escape from the reality of it. Um, but I really, right. I wish I had tackled it head on. And, and just grab the bull by the horns and, and dealt with it. But next time, mm-hmm. that's the goal. next time I'm going through something, if, if she does need surgery and I have to watch them wheel her back in for surgery, I, I'm just going to grab the bull by the horns and deal with it and, and acknowledge my emotions and allow myself to feel them instead of trying to tuck them away and pretend like it's not happening. Yeah. That's a scarier thing to do because you're kind of opening yourself up to this vulnerable place, right? Like sometimes it's a little bit easier, I mean, easier in the short term to kind of go to that numb space because then you don't have to acknowledge all those really big, scary, vulnerable emotions that you're going through. 
Definitely. Yeah, that can be really hard. How do you feel like this experience has changed you? Like you've mentioned how you would do things differently in the future, but how do you feel like going through this has changed either your outlook on life or who you are or how you would deal with future things? Um, I feel like I know that I have done this before and I can do it again. I survived through it somehow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the same thing I was saying before, like, I'm just going to, next time I'm going through a trial, I'm going to recognize this is temporary. This is just a trial. I can get through this. Um, I've been right. through work. I, I can't think of anything worse other than maybe like my spouse dying right. <laughs> or a child. I mean, I can't imagine that I'll go through anything worse anytime soon. Um, knock on wood. But mm-hmm. um, no bad things will eventually happen and, and sad things. And I think I'm just gonna try to master it instead of let it consume me like it did, because it really, um, the summer was horrible and I, I can't even describe it. It was, it was just so devastating. And, and I felt so guilty, like her diagnosis was my fault. Um, but I, I've been told by multiple doctors, it's, it's nothing you could have done different. Um, I'm a perfectly healthy 29 or 28 year old. (laughs) I'm a perfectly healthy 28 year old and there is no reason why, um, she should have had this, uh, this heart defect, but it, things just happen. Um, and you just have to get through it. Um, just make it till you make it, I guess, just kind of muddle your way through, the darkness and I that's not a lot of help I guess but um it made a huge difference to me so So, yeah so I know that you said that it was hard for you to kind of reach out to people or even to accept them reaching out to you did you feel like at times that you couldn't be honest about really the dark place that you were at inside yeah I I would have a friend text me and say hey let's go get dinner this weekend and I would be like, oh, I don't know if I want to shower for that. I don't, I don't know if I can. I would, I would miss people while I was at home alone, and then I would mm-hmm. make people. And it was like, I don't even want to be here. I don't want to do this. I sometimes I would just like chicken out right before mm-hmm. the last minute, which is so lame. And and I felt like such a bad friend. And um, I had I had friends going through some pretty hard things. I had a friend going through a breakup and I feel like I couldn't, I couldn't even be there for her because I was so consumed with my own stuff. And, um, it just, I wish I had reached back because I had people reaching out and I just didn't reach back. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like they, they could have been there for you or how, how could they have best been there for you? I guess if you had let them in, what would have been most helpful for you? Um, I did have one friend say, I've never been through this, but I'm here for you. Um, if you ever need to talk and I kind of just, <laughs> I called her one night and I just word vomited. I mm-hmm. probably talked for like two hours straight and she didn't say anything. She never interrupted me. She just listened and, 
and didn't try to turn it back around on her. Like, well, my problems are even worse, you know? Right, right. And was open and she lives on the other side of the country. Um, But she let me just open that wound and she allowed me to feel. I cried on the phone. Um, I've told her many times that she should be a therapist, but she's she's a stay-at-home mom like me. So, Um, but I think allowing someone who's going through grief to, to feel their emotions and not dismissing them or comparing them to anything you've ever been through. I think that was, that was the best thing for me is she just, so yeah, I think a lot of times we feel like we need to try to help bring somebody to a better place. Like, yeah, well, you're in this dark place and I want to be your friend. And so let me help you feel better. <laughs> and you're like, really, there's nothing that can help me feel better right now. So just That's listening a lot mm-hmm. of times can be so much more powerful. And she never, I would have people say, oh, I have a cousin's daughter's Uh in their heart and they are just fine and that every time I heard that I was like please stop every every heart condition is so different Um, you can have the same diagnosis and it is still completely different there are no two kids who are the same Um, everybody has a different heart kind of like your fingerprint everybody has their own individual heart which Mm -hmm. I think is inspiring personally that is inspiring Um, But when people would say like, oh, well, I have a hole in my heart and I have never needed surgery. It was like, okay, but that's totally different. Don't try to make me feel better, you know, Um, or I would have people say like, oh, I'm praying for you. And that was really nice. And I know it made them feel better, but it didn't help me feel better all the time. It was like, thanks. But I think they would say it more for themselves, like as long as I pray. Um, and I'm, I think fasting and prayers did go a long way because obviously she didn't need surgery, but, um, at the time when people would say that to me, I was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, that's not enough to make me feel better right now. So yeah. Like, thanks, but no thanks. (laughs) When my friend, um, called me and, and I did answer the phone and, and she just sat there and listened like. Half the time I was like, is she even still there? <laughs> I literally just a word vomited. I probably, I, I talked for literally two hours. Um, and she, she didn't compare or, or dismiss or gaslight me in any of my emotions. Um, and that, that got me through the last few weeks of my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think that, that sh- shows so much of how we can really be there for somebody and really just being in their space with them and listening and not trying to make it better because nothing's going to make it better and that's okay. Just kind of honoring that space can go so far. Totally. Well, and you touched on one thing I wanted to kind of address too. I think this happens a lot um, since the series is about expectations. I think a lot of times we get into this place with our expectations. And when it doesn't go the way that we think there is this grief process, you use that word grief, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people think about, well, you know, that has to do with just death. But in reality, there is kind of this grief process that's exactly the same when our expectations don't meet 
what we thought they were going to. And they aren't the same as what we thought we were going to experience. So can you speak more to that about how it kind of felt like a grief process for you? Oh, definitely. Um, I'm not as familiar with the process of grief, but um, I, I know a little bit. I was in denial at first. I thought, um, I kind of foolishly thought, this isn't happening to me. Um, and, and I did this weird thing um, where I wasn't even sure. I didn't feel pregnant. Obviously, I was pregnant. I had mm-hmm. a belly, a positive pregnancy test. But there were times I, I just thought, like, I would just forget that I was pregnant. And that's never happened to me before. With my first two pregnancies, I was so obsessed with the baby and, you know, getting the nursery ready and buying diapers and washing their clothes. I would, I didn't do any of that for Harper. Um, and I really think it was from grieving and being in denial that this was even happening to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know how I got out of that. I don't know. I don't even know that I, I got out of it on my own. I, we didn't even have a name picked out for her. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to the hospital. We just couldn't her. go there. We, yeah, I couldn't allow myself to get any more attached to this baby that I might not even get to, to bond with or know. Right. Um, and we did name her, obviously. And we went to the hospital with a few names, but we just couldn't commit to anything until <laughs> you can hear her in the background. <laughs> I love I love all of her beautiful little coos. Yeah, so I, I do too. And I, um, the, the happy side of my grief is that I am very much obsessed with her now, which is, mm-hmm. which is good. Um, I... I regularly check up on my like postpartum depression, which I don't seem to have this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but prenatal depression is totally a thing. And absolutely, I talk, talk about postpartum depression a lot, but um, prenatal depression is also extremely common. And a lot of mothers don't recognize it in themselves mm-hmm. um, because it's supposed to be like the happiest time of your life is, is having babies and having a family, um, but not for everybody and um yeah so back to my my grieving process um I think denial was the biggest part of my process and I know there's like there are different steps in the grieving um in grieving um but I really got stuck on denial I never Mm -hmm. was angry I just I just didn't feel I just couldn't feel I didn't even cry. I yeah. just didn't feel anything, and I felt really numb, um, which I I think is perfectly normal. Um, people think of depression Absolutely. as being like crying all the time or being really upset, but I just didn't feel anything, and that scared me too, um, mm-hmm. because I, I'm not used to not feeling happiness or even sadness. Like I wasn't even sad. I just kind of denied it. <laughs> I just denied yeah. it. Yeah. I know when you go through that, when when it's a true depression like that and you kind of feel like the numbness, it feels very kind of out of body. I know when I've experienced that or I've had clients that experience that, it's very much like I logically know that I shouldn't be feeling this way or that, you know, I should have more emotions than this or the world is still 
going without me, but I am just sitting here floating numb and it's, it feels very, um, different than you, you know, it felt there's a big disconnect there. Right. I would even, um, when I did get out and see friends, um, we would be having a conversation and I would just kind of, I just couldn't contribute to it. Like I felt like normally I'm, I'm like happy and bubbly and making Mm -hmm. jokes. Um, I, I love humor. I love seeing the funny side of things. Um, and I just couldn't, I couldn't make jokes. I didn't even know, you know, there would come to the part of the conversation where I would be expected to speak. And I, I just kind of froze cause I didn't, I didn't know what to say. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like being funny or happy or talking about good news. I just, I just kind of wanted to go back home and go to bed. Right. Um, and I'm really glad I'm out of that right now. I'm, I didn't realize how bad it felt. Um, I, I'm not saying all depression ends, but with prenatal depression, I'm obviously not pregnant anymore, but um, I kind of woke up when she was born and didn't need surgery. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think it's, it's really important to realize that a lot of times we don't know until after the fact how bad it was. And so that brings me actually to our, uh, my last question for you, which would be, um, what advice would you give to maybe women who are listening or other people going through this experience or something similar as to how they can try to help better cope with it or cope with it, um, in a different way than, than you did? Um, I wish I had gone to therapy. I wish I had acknowledged my emotions instead of burying them and trying to, um, trying to deny them. I, I wish I had reached out. I wish I had reached back more to the people who were worried about me. Um, a lot of my closest friends knew I was going through, through a hard time. Um, and it it was more than just saying like, Oh, let me know if you need anything. They would show up at my door and be like, Hey, I thought you could use dinner. Um, because I, I wasn't even making dinner for my kids. We, we literally ate out every night, <laughs> the mm-hmm. month of July. And, um, and you know, the guilt from eating out and eating fast food and feeding your kids fast food. Um, right. So on top of everything else I was going through, I felt guilty. Um, but I guess my, my advice would be get help, reach back. Even if, even if your friends have reached out a million times and you, you deny them, reach back, like, just do it. Um, I'm, I kind of found out who my real friends were, um, the ones that really cared. And, um, I, I think it's not that some people didn't care. It just, some people just didn't know. And I, I didn't share a lot on social media. Um, I'm, I'm really careful about what I put on my social media and I definitely Mm -hmm. share much about this. Um, but I, I just really wish I had gotten help sooner. Um, even my husband was kind of baffled at what I was going through and wasn't sure how to help, but I wish I had found a therapist or a friend sooner, um, who I could talk to. Um, like I mentioned, my friend, we did have a a nice long phone conversation, but I wish I had, I had had like a weekly therapy appointment or a friend to talk to um because nobody deserves to go through that um 
alone. Yeah. Um, feeling alone was the worst part. And um, I just, I hope if you are going through grief or, or your child has gone through something somewhere, I hope you know you, you're not alone. Um, because I definitely, I felt alone. And if I had just reached out a little more, maybe I wouldn't have felt so alone. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know that your story can really, could really help a lot of people. I really appreciate you being willing to share. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks for joining me for the first episode of Imperfect Me Women. I will be posting a new episode every two weeks, so check back for more inspiring and meaningful imperfect stories. If you'd like to know more about the Imperfect Me movement or my online life coach practice for women, you are welcome to visit my website at imperfectmewomen.com. You ladies are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing and I'll see you in a couple of weeks.